I think thinking is a legitimate business activity. And I think few of us spend enough time doing that. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. I have an amazing guest today. Oh my God, the level of energy, just having a short conversation with him before hitting the record button already has me super excited about what we're covering today. If you have ever looked into getting mentors yourself, who are the people you look up to and how do you get inspiration? How do you move forward in an accelerated way? Mentors is going to be a great thing to support you. This man, well, he's already going to be a mentor for me when it comes to writing books and sales itself, marketing as well. He's written so many books. His first one, which was Management Mess to Leadership Success, best-selling book. He's now had a second book, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. So many more books came out in the process. For those of you who are watching this on YouTube, Marketing Mess as well as Management Mess. And now he's got Job Mess coming out early in 2022. But today we're covering one of his first volumes of a series of books coming out called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from our greatest minds. Now, this man, Scott Miller, is actually the thought leader, keynote speaker, number one best-selling author, and a podcast host as well. He is behind Franklin Covey's book club. He's actually a senior advisor for this thought leadership company, has worked with big author Stephen Covey. You've probably have heard of this man, but honestly, he hosts the On Leadership podcast as well, has talked with all the greatest minds and is a great mind himself. He's here to share with us a little bit about mentors, how to help support us as we're growing our business, being entrepreneurs, and all that good jazz. Scott, welcome to the show. Jason, all that is just pablum. I'm on the Selling with Love podcast. I'm loving it. Thanks for the spotlight today. <laughs> hey, it's a pleasure to have you here. Now, I love the concept of this book. I was looking through it, a few familiar names, and we're talking about this whole concept of mentors. Now, I'm going to start with a funny quote, which I'm going to see if you're going to correct me on this, but someone said once to me that if you have to pay a mentor, it doesn't count. Do you think that's true? And what's your idea around mentors? Well, if you have to pay a mentor, it's called a coach not a mentor. So I'm all for paying for coaching. I think it's a genius idea. Lots of different coaches and you know every high performance athlete, CEO, entrepreneur I know is paying for a coach. Mentorship is different. Mentorship is about finding someone that has wisdom, has abundance mentality, that has a level of generosity to share with you both their successes and their messes. I think mentorship is about moving from being smart to being wise and really allowing you to help you understand what are you trying to do in life and how can any insights from their journey be helpful? Not turning you into a mini-me version of them, not trying to make you their clone, but to ask big, bold questions and help you progress what's most important to you. Mentorship is something all of us have, sometimes formally or informally. But one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I don't think you have to even know your mentor. I have many mentors I've never met. I don't know I'm even alive. I read all their books. I follow their podcast. I perhaps have seen them speak on stage. But mentorship can be done virtually. can be done in close physicality. It also can be formal or informal. In fact, most of your listeners are probably mentoring people that they don't even know that. They've not codified that term. So mentorship perhaps is more than what we think it to be. 
Mm. Yeah, because I think you use the proper term. It's actually coach because some people position themselves as, you know, a mentor for X and you have to pay them to get them as a mentor. But what I love is you're kind of democratizing the access to a lot of insights from these great mentors so that more people can have access to it. And I know you have a big brand around a lot of the book series you've put out, which is all around the mess in every area of business. So are you saying if we have a mentor, we're going to avoid the mess or is that unavoidable? I think that is the golden question. I think when you're looking for a mentor, I don't think your criteria should just be who's done this already or who's been the most successful. I'm married for 12 years. My wife and I have three sons. If I want to find out how to have a 40-year marriage, I tend to talk to people who've been divorced several times. I don't go to someone who's had a 40-year marriage. If I want to build my business into a $50 million company, I don't go to someone who's done that. I go to someone who's had multiple bankruptcies. Because I don't have the talent, the skills, the temperament, the personality, the education, the wealth of perhaps those that have been always successful. What I can do is I can avoid the big pitfalls. What do you do that resulted in getting divorced? What did you do that resulted in having a huge setback in your business? I think the best mentors are those that understand the concept that vulnerability is a leadership competency. And they're confident enough to talk about their mistakes. Not in an open kimono, you know, confessional fashion, but they're willing to help you say, well, here are some pitfalls that you might fall into if you behave this way or think that way. I also think it's important to surround yourself with successful people, right? You're the average of the five people you are friends with. You get that point. So I think when you're looking for a mentor, you're looking both for people that are successful and willing to share and people who have been unsuccessful and have used that as an opportunity to teach others how to avoid their mistakes. I think both are equally as valuable. Hmm. And when I look at something like in your book, you're bringing a bunch of amazing people that you can get some top insights on various categories, whether it's leadership, sales, marketing, all those amazing things. Are we only supposed to look at these great, popular, famous people in various of industries, whether they've been through successes or failures, or is mentor things that you should be looking for within your immediate circles or within your community? And if that is something to do, do you have a method to suggest to people on how to approach a mentor anyways? Yes, I think it's both. I think it's people that perhaps are at the peak of their career or have some fame or celebrity or influence and some people who are not household names. If you look at the list of the 30 mentors that I feature in the book, their requirement was they had to have been a guest on the podcast that I host, which is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller. And some of these names you've not heard of. Some of these people are not famous. Perhaps they're starting out or they had a especially wise insight that someone else can learn from. So I think mentorship is you're looking for someone, like I said, that has an abundance mentality. First, you have to ask yourself as a mentee, are you in the position to be mentored? Do you demonstrate both confidence and humility? Are you open to feedback on perhaps your blind spots or what it's like to work with you or teach you? Are you teachable? And then second, I don't think someone can mentor you unless you ask. Now, again, there are mentors in your life that you perhaps never know. But I think if you're looking for a mentor that perhaps is proximate, someone who's in your industry or in an adjacent industry or someone that you've followed in a local magazine or a columnist, reach out to them. Move outside your comfort zone and say, hey, I'm thinking of opening a flower shop in town. I've noticed you are the successful entrepreneur of 12 restaurants. No doubt you have some fundamental business principles that could benefit me and my flower shop. Yes, I could have gone to a florist, but I followed you. And I wonder if you would mentor me. And here's what I'm asking. Could we meet once a month virtually 
on Fridays for 30 minutes. I have four or five questions to ask you each week. I won't ask you to fund my business. I won't come to your home. And I won't ask you to open up your Rolodex to me. Set very clear boundaries. And then don't violate them. And then when that person does jump on, don't take 45 minutes. Be very mindful. I know we have two minutes left. I want to honor your time. And then if they do give you beneficial, actionable wisdom, which no doubt they will if you're open to it, make sure you discern it and perhaps act upon it. Because the best way to keep a mentor, an ongoing mentor, is to have them see their time put into action, to have them feel valued. Set some parameters. Make sure you don't violate those and don't ask them for a loan metaphorically or literally. I think most people that I've ever met, and I've spent most of my career around you know, significantly statured people, they want to give back. They have an abundance mindset. They're not scarce. They want to see others succeed. And they value their time as their most precious asset next to their reputation. So they want to invest their time in someone who's going to turn that concept into behavior and that behavior into results. Scott, you mentioned so many relevant things around setting the right parameters and not asking too much because I feel like a lot of times, well, if you're a mentee, you might feel like, oh, these people are inaccessible, so it's kind of intimidating to reach out to them. But I feel like you've given us a pretty solid sales script that could actually allow us to be able to reach out to these people. But secondly, if you're in a position of being a mentor, you have a lot of people that ask for favors and it's always, you know, like you said, the Rolodex, the money, there's all these little things that people excessively ask of, but I don't think you get overwhelmed with people just asking for very limited time, few questions. And it's actually an activity that would feel inspiring because you get to help somebody. But again, seeing that you want to work with people that take big actions, I'd be curious to know on your journey, if you have a notable mentor that you've approached that has supported you, because now, I mean, you got the biggest podcast, obviously in leadership, but you've went through this journey and you've made the connections you've grown. Is there a particular mentor that stands out in your life that you were able to approach this way? You know, I'm asked this question, Jason, with some frequency. I am the beneficiary of a trove of mentors through my, you know, 50 years in the world and 30 years in business. Not one person stands out to me. Sometimes I think mentors come into your life and you don't know that they're mentoring you. Sometimes they're saving you from yourself. They're believing in you more than you believe in yourself. I look back and think, oh, that person was mentoring me. Literally these 30 people featured in Master Mentors have all in some way mentored me. I think Franklin Covey's CEO and now chairman, Bob Whitman, who I've worked with for 25 years, has been a mentor and a father figure. He's a man of very few words. You don't know him because he's not a celebrity CEO by choice. He's a very private, deliberate, wise person. The most profound thing he's ever said to me was, well, he said two things. Once in a moment of feedback to me, which he's not prone to give, he's more of one of those telepathic leaders that wants you to rise to the occasion and read his mind. He said, Scott, you make too many declarative statements. And he was right. Meaning, Scott, you're a bit of a know-it-all. Why don't you sometimes ask questions as opposed to just share your opinions disguised as facts? That's not what he said, but that's what he meant. And then also he said once to me, Scott, thinking is a legitimate business activity. And I thought that was profound, is that in a world of busy, 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 and productivity, and more, 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 and an onslaught of information, sometimes the best thing you can do is turn off all the outside stimuli, take out your headphones, prop your feet up on your desk, and think about where you're going, what's working. What are your blind spots? What are your strengths? What is it you're passionate about? Have you surrounded yourself with people that are 
more talented around you? And do you have the humility to ignite that genius around you? I think thinking is a legitimate business activity. And I think few of us spend enough time doing that. So I think Bob Whitman probably would be my biggest mentor. Yeah, that's incredible advice, actually, especially in a world that seems to be moving faster and faster. It seems like we get busy for the sake of busy. And, you know, there's so many times I've been doing activities, like whether it was doing these interviews, I was doing a lot of them on Instagram, actually, but I was doing it for people of all walks of life, but there wasn't really any purpose or direction. And I got caught up into just doing it. And then I was like, wait, why am I interviewing these particular people? They're not even aligned to what I'm speaking about. And it's not until I take a moment to step back and kind of look and assess and realize like, hey, you need to focus your energy. We only have limited time in a day and not all activities are created equal. So I think taking that step back to be less busy, think is probably one of the greatest advice we can keep, especially for people that are listening, trying to be overachievers. It seems like this whole taking a step back and thinking seems like a quote unquote procrastination or a lazy activity, but it could be some of the most important things you can do. In fact, Ryan Holiday, the famous author, he wrote a book called Stillness is the Key. He's one of the featured 30 mentors in the book. Ryan and I have absolutely nothing in common. <laughs> and I tend to gravitate towards people who are different than me because that's where I learn the most about what makes them successful and which habits and patterns should I adopt. Ryan has really taught me the value of checking out. You know, as an American, I tend to be and a Catholic. <laughs> I tend to be a sort of guilty of feeling I need to know about every military coup and every vote and every legislation and every trauma and every war. And I think I've overdosed on the necessity of feeling like I have to know everything going on in the world. And so Ryan really taught me the value of just checking out. Don't listen to the news today. Turn off your phone for an hour and go for a walk. This is very unnatural for me. I'm uncomfortable with silence. I do not like silence. It makes me uncomfortable. That's why I talk so fast and why I'm always filling in the blanks and asking questions of people. And some of the most beneficial setups for my day are when I just walk around my block for eight minutes without my phone and I listen. I listen to sort of my energy, my heart rate, my breathing. I listen to the leaves and what's going on. And I kind of think about, okay, so what do I want to accomplish today? Who do I owe an apology to? Where do I have a relationship where, you know, perhaps I steamrolled over them or I didn't thank them for their investment in me? Who do I owe a follow-up to that I've been late on making a commitment to and not delivering on my commitment? This is a good ritual for me. This is unnatural. I'm a very productive, efficient person. I have an efficient mindset. I do not have what Dr. Covey, our founder, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People author calls an effective mindset. Efficiency and effectiveness are both important. One is not more important than the other. But people like me that have an efficiency mindset fall into the trap of moving that into our relationships with others. And you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective. As Dr. Covey said, with people, fast is slow. And slow is fast. Now, he's not one of the 30 mentors, but he certainly was a mentor of mine when I worked with him while he was alive. Amazing. And Scott, I think we're cut from the same cloth. I think there's a lot of things that you're saying right now. And I'm drawing parallels. When I once had my own coach, my first time I got a coach, this was one of the tasks that was given to me was to go outside and take a 20 minute walk. And I'll tell you, Scott, during my entire time coaching with her, I never did it. 
it was like I couldn't stop. I was so much into keeping the wheels turning. Now I found a different strategy. Uh, for those who might be watching this on video on YouTube, my puppy is sitting behind me and now I need to go take walks with the dog. And that ends up being a time that I can take that time out. But I've also had a bit of that kind of kick in the butt of this efficiency mindset. I still have it, but I had a moment in my life where I realized I started bringing my life not exactly where I wanted to take it. And then life just came and kicked me in the butt and I got humbled. And it became a big catalyst for me for a bit of a spiritual awakening, born Catholic, but more of a new age person. I mean, I did work for Mind Valley, but I'd be curious to know in your case, like, have you had a bit of a similar awakening that made you realize this efficiency was kind of maybe not taking you where you needed to go? No question. What I would say to that, Jason, is that I'm not ashamed of my productivity or efficiency. It's where my professional success has derived from, right? I mean, I'm an early riser. I get up every day at four o'clock. I write my column for Inc. Magazine. I author my books from about five to 6.30. I'm a dad from 6.30 to eight. I'm an entrepreneur and a leader in a company from eight to six. I'm a dad again, and you get the point. I'm that annoying neighbor that gets up at five o'clock on Saturdays and rakes my yard by six and mows it by seven and washes the cars by eight and has the flowers planted by nine. And by 10, I'm ready for tennis. So I have no shame or apologies for being productive and efficient. What I have to do like other people that have that same mindset is to recognize that all of our strengths when overplayed can become our weaknesses. And when I try to move that efficiency mindset into my dinners, to my business meetings, to my Zoom calls, I'm always trying to move it ahead. I'm that salesperson that sits down and I've ordered the appetizers for my guest before they've arrived. And then when we have dinner, I ask for the check. I got nowhere to go. I'm always just living in the future. I don't live in the past, but I also don't live in the present. And I think my biggest area of growth is slowing down with people and living in the present. I'm always on to the next thing because I like to be prepared. You would think I might be a doomsdayer. I'm not, but I like to be prepared, sometimes overly prepared, and I think this has a detriment in my relationships, including my marriage and as a parent. So to your point, I have to calibrate when to be efficient, taking out the garbage, washing the car, some social media, some emails, when to be effective whenever I'm dealing with people. That's a great litmus test. And I Definitely going to put this in my pocket for my own benefit because, like I said, I feel like you're speaking the same words and going through a lot of things that I've been through, except you have a bit more experience. So I definitely need to look up to you as a mentor, I think, in some capacity, which actually tees it up to a great question, which is you've actually, by this time, you've been the mentor for a lot of people and you've already given a prescription for people looking for a mentor. What are the types of parameters, barriers, and boundaries that they should set and expectations? But I'd love to know from the people that have come to you to be mentored by you, do you have a particular success story or someone that you feel so excited the fact that they were mentored by you? Well, I'm approached hourly to help people with their brands, their marketing, their businesses, their speaking, their books. I think I have three on my schedule today. I try to help about eight people a week. That's my quota. And I, in fact, just this morning, I was coaching someone I'd never met from Australia. I say coaching was more mentoring. He's writing a book about physical fitness for teenage boys and how important that is for their trajectory in life. And, you know, is there a great success story? I think the best successes are when someone implements the advice that I gave them because they found it valuable and they follow up. 
Scott, you talked to me about how important my social media is to launch a book. And I want you to know that, you know, I've gained 300 connections on LinkedIn last week and I'm providing value in my post. I'm actually writing articles to help give value. So it's, I think it's when someone takes your wisdom, finds it valuable on their journey, and then follows up by just a short email or a message of some sort and thanks me for it. That's very validating. It's a success story. I absolutely love it. You're very giving and, you know, like you said, you're very efficient. And I think that it gives you the opportunity to be such a giver. And, you know, I can see it in the personality and the way that what you're doing, it's amazing to see. And you've written all these books to be able to support people. And every time you read a book, that is kind of inspiring you to be mentored by someone because you're picking up a book and you're getting that inspiration from them. You're learning from their success and their mistakes. And here, what I love is you have a book here that has 30 of these insights that have come through people that went through your podcast. And now it's actually condense in a way that people can digest. There's 30 in here for anybody. And I want to give it to the people who might have resistance in sales. You know, the whole podcast about selling with love. And I really like helping people that feel blocked in selling. And I know you've been in numerous positions. I know selling is a big part of what you have to do on a daily basis, whether it's selling books, etc. Do you feel like there's an insight in this book that would be particularly important for people who want to be better at growing business and making more sales? Certainly several of them. In fact, the book is quite episodic, and it's why one publisher passed up on it because they thought it was too episodic. And then Carper Collins caught the vision for it. In some cases, I talk about brain health. In other cases, I talk about emotional agility. Dan Pink talks about your peak, your trough, and your valley, which I think is recovery, rather, which is, I think, an invaluable skill for anyone. To answer your question, Jason, I'd say Seth Godin, right? Most people probably listening to your podcast know who Seth is. Seth is a good friend of mine has been a mentor to me for years. And the big transformational insight that Seth taught me is knowing the difference between being fearless and being reckless. Many people don't know this about me, but I've had a speech impediment my entire life. I'm a stutterer. I've had a debilitating stutter for most of my life. I've been through decades of speech pathology and speech coaching. I've had braces twice. I'm actually in Invisalign right now. They're out for this podcast. And I've worn a retainer and headgear my entire life. And have to this day two speech coaches that helped me to prevent my stutter from kicking in. I've worked enormously hard on that. And so sometimes I over enunciate my words and I sometimes my stutter comes out and I can be a bit robotic. And to quote, cure myself of stuttering, I put myself sometimes in situations that require a tremendous amount of courage. And sometimes I set myself up for failure. And so I've really become more mindful about when am I being fearless and when am I being reckless with my own brand, with my reputation, with my credit score, with my relationships, with other people's brand, with their reputation? Gossip is extraordinarily reckless. And sometimes I have to be thoughtful about, am I masquerading as being fearless, but I'm really being reckless? Does what's on my mind really need to be said? Should I really comment on that person's outfit? Should I comment on what I did and didn't like about their book? And so at the age of 53, I'm learning the difference between having an inside voice and an outside voice and not expressing every thought on my mind. Because I think for many years, I felt like I was the guy who was, you know, the writer of wrongs. And I'm the person that always took on the elephant in the room. And for some cases, that was my brand and it served people well, but it didn't always serve my brand well. 
So for Seth Godin and those that are thinking about growing your sales skills and your communication skills and your relationship skills, I mean, sales is all about how to develop trustworthy, mutually beneficial relationships with others. That's kind of it in a nutshell. How you are a trusted advisor for the long term of your client, perhaps not now, but for later, for better, for bigger. Ask yourself, are there times when you are in fact disguising fearlessness as recklessness and would becoming a little more deliberate, a little more contemplative? My CEO, Bob Whitman, has oftentimes said to me, Scott, that was true and perhaps that could have been delivered more delicately. Or perhaps you could have said that in a way that kept the relationships intact and didn't diminish people. I tend to be a fairly fearless, courageous person. And that is one of my biggest strengths. And like all things I said earlier, when overplayed, your strengths can become your weaknesses. And I have to recognize that maybe not every situation requires a Scott Miller style level of fearlessness or Scott Miller style level of recklessness. That is profound. And this is incredible because, I mean, you're talking here about one insight from one of the 30 things that are contained in the book. So for everybody listening here, this was a fantastic conversation, and I would highly encourage for anybody who's looking to get unstuck, wants to be inspired, wants to be a better leader, whether that's in your sales profession, growing the business, I have my copy here, and I would encourage everybody else to get yourself a copy. We're going to put a link in the show notes for you to pick up Master Mentors. And just as a recap for what we covered today, you know, we talked about the power of mentors, how it actually allows you to be able to move more boldly. And it is different than a coach. A coach is something that you should get and pay for, and a mentor is someone that can inspire you to move in a path that you want to go towards. But you don't just learn from the people that are successful. As Scott said, you often learn more from the people who have had the failures, so you can make sure not to repeat those patterns. Some can be in your immediate area, and if you want to approach them, Scott gave you a beautiful formula of how you can communicate that effectively to see that you can build a relationship with someone locally that has had the success in the direction that you want to be inspired by and making sure you're not asking too much of them. Again, not asking for the money, not asking too much of your time, but more importantly is if you're going to be having a relationship with a mentor, make sure that you're going to be following up on the advice that they give you because nothing is as rewarding as having your mentee actually have that success based on what you inform them, as Scott has mentioned from his own stories with his mentees. And of course, we've talked about what is it like when you're going out there and you want to be able to get inspired by the big names? You can look at books. You can look at podcasts. Again, I would suggest all of you to look at the On Leadership podcast. I will put a link to that as well in the show notes so you can continue to follow Scott and see more inspiring stories on how to be a better leader in every aspect of your life. We even dived into some of our strengths and weaknesses. Of course, Scott talking about effectiveness and efficiency and the importance of where it needs to be. And finally, we just want to make sure that you are all best geared up to be out there being effective. And if you grab this book, you're going to have 30 inspiring stories that you can get started with. So you're never left in the dirt. You always have some inspiration and you might just find the next mentor that you want to start following more effectively so you can get the insights that you need. Scott, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such fire. And like I said, I think we're cut from the same cloth and I'm going to keep you in my Rolodex because I think there's a lot I can learn from you. And I think for everybody else here, you're going to be able to do the same. Pick up a copy of the book and again, continue selling with love. And thanks everybody for listening. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.